Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz pianist Bill Cunliffe. He just released 2017's Bacchanalia, and it's a great listen. He was born and raised in Andover, Massachusetts, and then he moved on to Los Angeles. He began his career as a pianist and arranger with the Buddy Rich Big Band and worked with the likes of Frank Sinatra, Joe Henderson, Freddie Hubbard, Benny Golson, and James Moody over his career. He has established himself as a solo artist and band leader with more than a dozen albums under his own name. He's a busy musician and teacher with great tales to tell. So get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. Kansas City, what's going on in Kansas City? Oh, well, we're getting ready to get geared up for the big Charlie Parker celebration in August, and, you know, the scene That's is always growing, so it's good. Really great, yeah. Who, who's coming in for the festival? Uh, our uh, resident artist is going to be Sullivan Fortner and Devon Pentecost. One of my ex-students at Vail. He's wonderful. Yeah. Those- great piano player. I'll tell you what, both of those guys, Devon was here last year, and he tore it up, man. I went to a couple gigs, and he came in, and when he gets that horn out, man, he just blows that room away. Oh, great, great. So, it's a good time. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and start off here, Bill, and ask you, what's been going on with you lately? Yeah, just put up this big band record in the beginning of June, and uh, I've done a bunch of gigs in L.A. supporting it. It's been really fun. Gig down at Cal State Fullerton, and then a gig coming up at the Los Angeles County Museum with a very fine Latin jazz singer named Carol Bacchirita, and we're going to do some of our more Latin material because I've always loved Latin music. Uh, because I've been writing big band music for so long, I can kind of... I'm playing stuff from the record, but I'm also playing stuff from uh, my other you know, projects that I've done over the years. I'm a professor at Cal State Fullerton, so, um, but of course I'm off for the summer, so doing some touring with my trio. We've got some gigs coming up in Cincinnati and Baltimore and Cleveland. Uh, the trio right now is uh, Martin Wind on bass from New York, and on these particular gigs we'll be using uh, Harvey Mason, the great drummer from uh, Herbie Hancock's band, which I'm really looking forward to. Well, let me ask you about your latest album, Bacchanalia, and how you feel about this album. It's, I, I've listened to it. I really dig it. And, you know, and I was talking to someone yesterday in regards to kind of what's going on with big bands on the American jazz landscape, and there's just so much good material that is coming out. So what kind of joy was it to release this album? I did the album about three years ago. I, did, I made a decision to do it live in a club. With two days to record it, I'd record everything twice so I could, you know, get the best takes and, and fix as needed. But uh, that involved some challenges in terms of getting the sound just right, and I ended up needing to redo one of the pieces, the uh, Goldberg contraption. I just needed to get it right. So I went into a studio and did that over again, a couple of the other pieces I added, and the theme kind of emerged over time to feature classical pieces of music done in a jazz style, because I was a classical musician before I was a jazz musician. Uh, I always loved Gershwin and Rachmaninoff and Tchaikovsky and Debussy and all that stuff. I loved that when I was a kid, and it was only when I started working with Murray Lou Williams at Duke that I really turned on to jazz when I was like a junior, senior in college. Uh, I thought this would be a great idea to just kind of feature the um, classical things that I've done and, and 
that I've turned into jazz because I really love doing that. So it took a little while to get that going, but the challenges of making a big band record sound good live is, of course, you know, you've just got to get the mics all have to be right, the sound, the room has to sound good. And so I blended that with a couple of live, uh, well, tracks that we did in a recording studio, and I got the sound good. I'm pretty happy with it. But, Joe, getting back to your uh, comment about big band, it's an amazing time in America. There's, I mean, there's more good big bands now than ever. Yeah. Um, of all different types, from swing bands to kind of rock, jazz big bands to kind of avant-garde bands to bands that feature, you know, certain types of intelligent pop music, the great songwriters of America post-1960. Uh, Stevie Wonder and, you know, Grateful Dead and uh, uh, David Bowie and all, all this other music that has affected people over the years. Let me ask you this about your life. I want to kind of get back to the beginnings of your life. You were born and raised in Handover, Massachusetts, but you were also That's spent right. time in L.A. Talk to me about your childhood and how you did actually get into jazz. started playing piano at eight. The old lady down the street gave me $2 lessons. And she was really great because she kind of got right away that I had an improvising heart. And, you know, back then they had these, the beginnings of these kinds of fake books that they have now. And she got me one when I was like 10 or 11. And she said, well, you know, you play the melody of the song and then you can make up what's happening underneath. And I just really latched onto that. And um, so in that way, she kind of freed me up to start improvising immediately. When I did all the classical repertoire, you know, I was uh, lucky enough to go to a really good private high school right down the street from my house, uh, Phillips Academy in Andover. And there was a guy there who was a, professor at the Boston Conservatory, and he had studied with Myra Hess, you know, the first great woman uh, classical pianist, and um, he turned me on to Beethoven and Brahms and, and the heavy classical literature, which I really loved. I wasn't quite sure I wanted to be a musician, so when I went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut, I studied psychology there, but something didn't feel right, and I just transferred to Duke University because I had some friends who went there, and I knew they had a really great classical piano teacher there. And uh, his name was Lon Withers. He was a Juilliard graduate, and he just really pushed me in that direction. And I got was doing some classical recitals and really enjoying that. But during the summers, I would work in Boston at various rock clubs. I was working at a place called the Prince Spaghetti House, which is still there. It's kind of one of these, you know, those passion books with the weird-looking buildings. It's it's kind of a low-slung building with a huge leaning tower of pizza on it. So it's a big leaning tower, but they call it the leaning tower of pizza. I was playing in there, and this guy came in named uh, Michael Sychik, who was a he played piano with the James Cotton Blues Band, and I had known him because I knew his brother. And he said, Bill, uh, you know, you ever heard of Oscar Peterson? I said, no. And he gave me this record. Oscar Peterson, Tristeza on piano with Sam Jones and Bobby Durham. This is when I was 20 years old. I put that record on, and my life completely changed. That was it. I knew I wanted to be a jazz player. Wow, that's great. Well, and obviously things have worked out over the years. You you were the pianist and arranger for the Buddy Rich Big Band, played with Sinatra, Joe Henderson, Freddie Hubbard. What was it like to be around people that had such clout in the world of not only jazz but music. What did you get from that? 
I think the the thing that I got was that you give 100% every time you play because you never know who's going to be in the audience. Um, you know, having played about 400 gigs with Buddy Rich, I saw this 67-year-old guy with back pain and with, uh, you know, aging and having to play this amazingly physical instrument and just killing it every night. It, it was just awesome. I never saw him have a bad night. And I, I see, you know, I was... After that, I moved to Cincinnati, where I had some friends and I was doing a little teaching and stuff. I, I lucked into this house gig at the Greenwich Tavern in Cincinnati, which is, again, still there. And uh, the owner loved jazz, and he brought in, like, Joe Henderson, Junior Cook, um, Art Blakey, Bob Mincer, Bob Berg, Art Farmer, James Moody, Kenny Burrell, all these great players. So it was really an education for me to see kind of the diaspora of how all of these guys run their lives, how they handled music, how they handled their lives personally. You know, you got to know them a little bit because you worked two, three days with them. So um, that was a great, great professional experience to really see how they were. And I saw that same professionalism. I saw that maybe they didn't feel good. They were tired, you know, they didn't have... They didn't give their all in the rehearsal, but when they hit the stage, bam, it was very, very important what was going on, and they just took it seriously. You've had a very long, fruitful career, not only in performing music and, and, and arranging and teaching. What? How do you feel about your career up to this point? When you kind of do a reflection on, on your life and music, how do you feel about it? Great and complicated question. No one's ever asked me that. You you know, Frank Sinatra said, uh, regrets, I've had a few, but too few to mention. And I don't really feel that way. <laughs> I feel like there are so many things I would have done different. But I think ultimately, if you're honest and you work hard and you stay in the moment, what you're supposed to do seems to happen. And I think that that's what life is. And a successful career is the ability to do what you want and what you feel, and survive, you know, not necessarily make a living at what you love. I mean, that would be the ultimate, but, you know, I teach school, I love kids, I didn't have any of my own, so I'm really enjoying that process, but I'm a musician, I'm a player, and I'm just getting started. I mean, I'm, I'm writing more music now, I am uh, have this uh, trio that I'm going on the road with. I mean, I'm kind of, what happens when you get a little bit older, is not only do you learn what notes to play, you learn what notes to leave out. And that's kind of what I'm at right now. And I saw Chick Corea play last year in Albany, New York, at the Saratoga Jazz Festival. It was just, he was in such command of the instrument and his players. He was playing with uh, Christian McBride and with Brian Blade. It didn't seem like he was trying that hard. He was playing standards and a couple of his more popular originals, and it just seemed effortless. He was just, you know, oh, I won't do that. Yes, I'll do that. He just seemed so right there. Part of that is not feeling you have to prove anything. You don't have to play all the notes there are. You don't, there's nothing you have to do except express what you're feeling, especially when you get to a certain point where you know, I mean, I know jazz. I know what I want to do with it. You know, I I love to experiment, but I'm a swinger, and I love a good melody. So that's kind of the dichotomy of that. 
I have all these young students that I work with and young people that I see. You know, Sullivan Fortner, you mentioned, yeah. uh, was an ex-student of mine. And uh, I see them going for all these directions. And uh, at a certain point in life, you, you become content with your direction and you just keep going. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of what you want to do with jazz, you're obviously a very expert practitioner of it. I want to ask a simple question. Why do you love jazz? A very good question. There are so many things about it that I love. First of all, I think the sound of the rhythm section. I'm sitting here right now in a hotel in Seattle uh, getting ready to do the Port Townsend Jazz Workshop on the coast, and um, I'm hearing great jazz in this hotel lobby, and it's just making me feel something. Um, it's the it's the emotional content of the music, the, um, the sound of the rhythm section, the connection of all the people together. The people in jazz are, for me, the best people. They're wonderful folks, the people that go to see it and the people that do it. Because jazz is the kind of music that when you work and pay attention to others, the music sounds better. It's very human, you know. If I listen to what you play and respond to it, I will sound better. And that, that's kind of complicated, I guess, on a human level, but I just love the way it sounds, and I, I always did. And it's so much fun to do because there's a template that you have, but within that template, you can go anywhere you want to go. almost seems like a metaphor for life. If we paid closer attention to all of those that are around us and the way they communicate, we might actually be more successful as the human race. Uh, Joe, that's a good point. I agree with that. Uh, I've gotten my wife, who is, uh, I've been married about four years now, and she's um, she's not a musician, but she's got a musician's heart and soul. And uh, she turned me on to this guy, Dan Harris, who's a, he was a former reporter with ABC News in New York, and he had a panic attack on the air, and he kind of froze up. And he... Uh, went on a voyage, and he discovered all these different self-help gurus. And I've had my journey with that as well. And um, he discovered meditation. And uh, I've been meditating kind of full on about half an hour a day for about a year now. And what that's allowed me to do is be better at just being in the moment and not judging what happens and just accepting things. Marriage is good for that too. But the whole idea of play of being in the moment, of being aware of what you're doing without judging it, is exactly what makes you a great jazz player. Absolutely. And playing jazz is when you're in the moment like that, it's so much more fun and so great and so connecting with others. One of my favorite creative people on the planet, David Lynch, is a big uh, practitioner of meditative arts, especially for folks that have post-traumatic stress. And, um, yeah, I, it's, it's definitely a... A medicine that heals the soul, for sure. That's right. You know, you've played with a lot of big names in the world of jazz. You've seen shows. You mentioned Chick Corea. But let's get a little fantastical here and put a jazz DeLorean in front of your house and say, let's go. What digits are you punching in? Who do you want to see? Oh, it depends. It really depends on what, what, what I need at the time. If, if I see that Kenny Barron is in the neighborhood, I'm going to be down there. If I hear that one of the great younger musicians, uh, Joshua Redman, he's got a quartet, I'm going to be there to see that. I, I'm fascinated with writing and with big bands largely because I think that uh, uh, the big band kind of fuses the classical music element with jazz in that it has a beginning, a middle, and an ending, and a development, and an orchestration. 
that a lot of jazz doesn't have. You know, sometimes you hear a very good jazz group, but it's just, it's kind of a, it can be sort of monochromatic or just kind of one mood for a while. But when you listen to a really great work of classical music, you hear all the different moods that go on. I mean, the symphony is a sort of a metaphor for the world, you know, everything that can happen in the world. And uh, with writing, you can do that with jazz and incorporate improvisation in with that. So, you know, when you listen to Maria Schneider's music, you hear what kind of emotional feeling she can generate. Of course, my favorite big band writer of all time, uh, along with Duke Ellington, is Thad Jones, because I feel that he got the people in his band to play like individuals more than just about any other leader who was working at the time. You are yourself, but you also are the music that is put in front of you. I, I, I hear jazz all the time. L.A. is, is good for that. There's a lot of people that come through. Uh, there's a very good younger scene in L.A., in fact. There's great, great young players now, especially because of the music schools. Um, we could use a few more venues. I think uh, Kansas City actually has more venues than L.A. does right now. Wow. But um, we, ha we have lots of little joints, though, where you can hear really great music. Well, let me ask you this. What's one of the nicest things that a fan has ever said to you about what you've done as a musician? There was a gentleman who um, said, you know, I was really sick. I was, I was in, the, I was in the, um, a critical condition in the hospital, and I thought I was going out. I thought I was kind of losing it. And I had my little um, boombox with me, and I had them put on one of your records. And it pulled me from the edge. It just pulled me from the edge. And I got I got back. So to to do that for someone, no greater love for me. Absolutely. That's a good lead in to my final question I'd like to ask you, and it's this. Everyone has a perception of who you are, your family, your friends, your fans, your students. But when you wake up and you face the world and you face this reality, who are you? Who do you think you are? Wow. A very existential question. Yeah. Um, I like to view the world and look at myself and go, I'm going to choose a way to deal with this world that has thought and intelligence and wisdom and compassion. That's what I do when I'm in the world. I like that. I think that's a fitting way to wrap everything up. Bill, thank you for taking a minute out. Good luck up there in Seattle and with the new album. I appreciate it. Joe, I really appreciate it. It's fun talking to you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Chicago, KC, and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Bill for his time and his stories and his music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.